The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. When I was young, I had a rowboat, and right near where we lived was a lake. And it also had this tiny uh, little motor. It was like one horsepower and connected to like this car battery. And so usually I would use that motor, but um, occasionally maybe the battery wasn't charged or uh, maybe it ran out or maybe just for fun, I would take the oars and I would just row, actually row in the rowboat. And so um, I would set off from shore. And the first time I just set off rowing, um, I experienced something Um, that that I still remember. I was rowing away from shore, and as I got going, man, I felt like I was really moving. And And what I didn't totally appreciate is that I was rowing with the current. And so I'm rowing, and I felt like, man, I am strong. I mean, I am flying across this lake. And so what I wasn't fully appreciating is that with every pull of the oars, when I turn around and go back, I will have to go that same exact distance. Eventually, I turned it around, and the current that was now that was going with me is now that same strong current coming against me. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but rowing against the current. I mean, it is exhausting because it seems like no matter how hard you're rowing, it's like you're not moving. You're like stationary. You're not going an inch. And if you get tired and you stop rowing, now you're moving backwards. And I remember that, that frustrating feeling of no matter how much I dug in, it just felt like I wasn't going anywhere. And there's another part of my life that I've felt that same thing. It's in prayer. Sometimes in prayer, some seasons of life, it just feels like, man, I am really humming. I mean, it's just like, when I, prayer's just coming out, and when I ask the Lord for something, I see him come through, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. And then there's other times when I am digging in in prayer, I'm saying, God, I really need this. And it seems like no matter how much I dig in, no matter how much I try in prayer, it feels like, God, I am not going anywhere. And if anything, I'm, I feel like I'm going backwards. And so I'm not sure where you're at in your journey with the Lord. You may be here, you may be watching online, and you may say, look, I'm, I am not a Christian. I don't think that's where I'm at right now. I'm just, I've got questions. I'm here. I've just got questions. And if that's where you're at, So glad that you're here with us. We love journeying together with people who are in that place in their their journey. So glad that you're here. You might be here and you're a brand new Christian. Maybe you say, I just got baptized a couple weeks ago. I'm figuring it out. And maybe in this season, in brand new faith, like everything's working. And you're like, man, it's just, I, I feel like I'm on fire. I feel like God's right there. I sense him around me. And that is an awesome season. Glad that you're journeying with us and glad to be a part of your journey. Others of you, you may have maybe farther along in your journey with the Lord. And if you've been journeying following Jesus for any amount of time, I'd be willing to bet you've come across a season in your life where it just seems like when it comes to prayer, no matter how much you dig in, how much you're rowing, it just feels like you're like, God, I'm not getting anywhere. And so you start to ask these questions. Man, am I doing this wrong? Am I praying? Is my prayer, are they broken? 
Like, do I just not have enough faith? Is I need to like stir up more faith? Or is it that my life, I need to be like holier before God? Or like, is it, is it like a wording I need to say? Have I not just prayed it enough times? Have I not been as consistent or prayed it long enough? Like what's broken in my prayers? Or maybe you've gotten to a place where you're like, God, you're just gonna do whatever you wanna do. Why do I even pray? If you've been in your journey with God, at some point you've probably come to that place where prayer feels broken. And so... We're looking at this one passage where Jesus himself addresses that. It's in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 7. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open it up. If you do not have either, this is as good a time as any to download a Bible app. So if you do not have one, I want you to take out your phone. Okay, step one, turn it on. Step two, go ahead and silence the ringer that has nothing to do with downloading the app, but also an important thing to do at church. Step three, go to your app store, and I want you to type in Bible. Probably the first one that comes up will say Bible by Life.Church. That is a great app. There's a lot of great ones out there, but that's a great one. And we are going to be reading from the ESV, English Standard Version. That's, there's a lot of great versions. That's the one we're looking at this morning, so you can follow along. So if you don't have an app, take a moment and do that. We're going to start reading Uh, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. These are the words of Jesus. Here's what he says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? We unpacked these verses a little bit last week, and we focused last week mainly on the last three verses where he talks about this dynamic in prayer that sets it apart from every other piece of communication we have. I mean, we're communicating in relationships all the time, but when it comes to prayer, we're communicating with the infinite almighty God. That changes things in that communication. We got to reorient a little bit in that type of communication. And Jesus gives us three things to consider in that part of communication, in prayer, to reorient us with who we're talking to. And the first thing he tells us is God is our Father. Now think about that for a second. He's a parent. He's your parent. He says he's, he's adopted you as his child. He's wanted you. He's brought you into his home. In other words, the same way you feel about the children in your life, maybe you're a parent or a grandparent, Maybe there's children that you babysit. You're uh, an uncle or an aunt. There's these kids in your life that you love. There's this vulnerability and there's this something inside of you. You can't help yourself but to be protective of them and want the best for them. That sense that it's kind of instinctual inside of you. God wired you with that for you to understand a little bit more how he looks and feels towards you. If he's your father, that means he can't help himself towards you. 
He wants to protect you. He wants to bless you. He loves you. There's this warmth, this intimacy. He's your father. But there's the second thing he says is he's your father who is in heaven. And here's what's so important about this. There's times, parents, where you've had to say to your child, oh, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. I wish there was something I could do. Because you may be a loving parent, but you're a limited parent. There's things that you wish you could do, you wish you could solve, you wish you could fix, you wish you could help, you wish you could heal, but there's a limit to your power. But here's what's the truth about your heavenly father. He's your father and he has no limits to the power he can leverage for his children. That is an unbelievable combination, isn't it? He says, I, I have this, I can't help myself towards you, and there's, there is no scenario that my hands are tied towards you. He has infinite power, but he also has infinite knowledge, so think about what this means. That means there's no scenario that he's struggling to appreciate and to understand. There's nothing you have to explain to him that he doesn't understand better than you do. That situation that you're dealing with at work or at school or in your extended family, he not only knows your heart and your thoughts and every word you've spoken, he knows every word they've spoken and knows their their thoughts, which you don't, and knows their heart that you don't, and knows all the other conversations that you've never been uh, privy to, and knows all the rest of the details to the circumstance, and knows every possible hypothetical eventuality and outcome that could ever happen. He has perfect knowledge of the situation, perfect uh, ability to see what's coming down the road, perfect ability to solve the problem perfectly. He's your father in heaven. He's your father. And your father, the good news is, happens to be the Almighty. He's your father in heaven. That's an unbelievable combination. But Jesus adds one more ingredient to the equation. He says, he's your father in heaven. How will he not even more so give you good gifts than you give to your children? He's your father who's unlimited. And he said, I want to give you good things. I want to pour out good things on you. I want to work everything together for your good. And so we looked at this incredible thing in prayer. Our Father, who's almighty, who wants to give us good things. We looked at this incredible combination. And what we said was, okay, so when we come to God in prayer, do we really want our agenda? I mean, wouldn't we rather, if that's who we're talking to, wouldn't we rather have his agenda? God, you love me. You see all the pieces of the puzzle that I don't see. You see down the road, the future, and you, you've told me you give good things to me. I guess I'd rather have your plan. And we've talked, we talked about last week, prayer is not a vehicle for control. Prayer is a vehicle for surrender. And prayer feels broken when we're trying to use it for control. God, I really need this to happen. I need this to happen in this relationship or this to happen in my career or this to happen wherever. And I've tried everything I do to control getting that outcome. I'm not sure it's going to happen, so I'm going to pray. I expect you to get this and this and this done. I'll talk to you next week. Tell me when you've completed it. And we use prayer for control. God, I need some divine help accomplishing my goal. And often we use prayer for control. And what we find is like, it's not working. 
How come you didn't get it done? And it feels broken. And then we're like, God, why, why is this not working? And we use this illustration. It's like when you're on your rowboat, if you were to take an anchor and throw it overboard, and it goes all, sinks all the way to the bottom and latches hold of the ground underneath, and you from your rowboat, if you pull, are you pulling the shore to yourself or are you pulling yourself to the shore? That's what prayer is. You're throwing your anchor overboard and you're pulling. You're not pulling God to your agenda. You're using prayer to pull yourself to God's agenda. Prayer is a vehicle for surrender. So we talked about those last three verses in our wrestling with prayer. But that leaves these first two. And these first two are interesting. They start by saying this. They say, ask, seek, and knock. Jesus is saying these. They're commands. That means that he's commanding us to ask, seek, and knock before God. And they're interesting because they're not just these verbs kind of lumped together. They're kind of a progression of hunting for something. You're, you're asking around, then you're seeking for it, and then you're knocking for it. And it's like this progression. Do you see that? And that last verb is interesting because it's like, okay, I can see ask and seek are very similar, but knocking is kind of unique. And I almost wonder if that last verb at the end, knocking, I almost wonder if that's revealing the type of thing that we're supposed to be hunting for. So for example, if you've ever lost your cell phone, the first thing you do is say, hey, have you seen my cell phone? Have you seen it around? You ask. No, I haven't seen it. Then you seek. Now you're looking under couch cushions. Did I leave it in the car? Is it back at the office? You're looking around. And if you've asked and then you seek, then, then what does your friend then do for you? What do they do? Has anyone not lost their cell phone? What do they do? What do they do next? They call the phone, right? So if the item you're hunting for is a cell phone, you'd be ask, seek, and call. That would be what you're looking for. If you're hunting for buried treasure, you'd ask, like, say, is this the right island? Then you seek, you've got the map, and when you get to where X marks the spot, you'd ask, you'd seek, and then you'd dig. That would be the verb for looking for buried treasure. So what is he inferring by ask, seek, and knock? And it's almost like if you're hunting, it's almost like you're hunting for a person. Have you seen so-and-so? Oh, he lives right down there. So then you seek, oh, this must be it. Or, oh, he's in that office. I walk down the hall. This must be the office. I ask, seek, and then I knock. It's almost like I'm looking for a person. These are interesting verbs, ask, seek, and knock. And then the, the, the challenging part, Jesus links promises to those commands, doesn't he? If you, whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds, whoever knocks, the door will be open. I mean, it kind of seems like God just gave us a blank check, doesn't it? God, I was driving to work the other day, and I saw this Lamborghini pass by me, so I mean, I'll ask for it, God, and I'll seek. Don't, don't get me wrong, okay? And I'm thinking I'm getting a Lamborghini, to, Lamborghini tomorrow when I wake up. It's going to be sitting out there on my 
driveway. It just seems like there's a blank check. But if you've been journeying with Jesus, you've been through a season where you're like, Jesus, I don't understand this because I've been asking and I've been seeking and I've been knocking. I've been begging for you to do this for me. And you still said no. And I just feel like I'm rowing against the current here and I'm getting nowhere or moving backwards. So Jesus, how do these commands and promises work together? Well, to understand these, it's all about the context. When you pull something out of context, it really gets you in trouble. I experienced this one time. I was um, having coffee with a buddy of mine. We're at this coffee shop, and uh, we're sitting outside at the little table out there, little umbrellas up, and we both have coffee. And I'm, I'm, you know, we're just hanging out, chatting, and finally I could see he's, he's kind of upset about something. I said, man, what's going on? He's like, look, can I just get your advice on something? I said, well, absolutely, man. What's going on? He says, ah, oh, man, have you ever met my sister? I was like, yeah, I've, I've met her before. He's like, she's dating this guy. And, you know, I, she's starting to get serious about him, but I'm just not so sure about this guy. I'm like, well, what's the deal? He's like, well, he just, he just seems unmotivated, and, and he just he lacks drive and ambition. It's like he just plays video games all day. And it just, I want, I'm just like, if he's going to be the guy for my sister, I want him to go out and get a job and work hard and just show some kind of drive. And he's just like, I, I'm just frustrated. And I said, okay, man, well, um, let's do this. Well, let's just try... If you could sit down with him, I'm not saying this is what you should say, but if you were to sit with him, what would you say to him? And so he sits there for a second. And he says, man, I guess I, I look at him, and he said, man, you just need to get a job. <laughs> man, quit being such a loser. I mean, get, just you're being a bum, okay? Stop with the video games. Grow up. You're not a teenager. Start, go get a job. Get to work. If you're going to be with my sister, this is what I expect. And he starts getting, like, really animated. He's getting loud. He's like pointing his finger. And just as he starts getting animated, a group of people walk by our table and walk into the coffee shop. And I look at them and they're looking at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I realized they think I'm the guy dating his sister. And they're walking, comes, I have a job. I do have a job. And it's too late. They're getting their coffee, okay? Hopefully, I'll never see those people again because they're very confused. Okay, now here's the problem. Those people, they missed the whole context of that discussion. A very important part where I gave him freedom to pretend I was the guy dating his sister. Okay, they missed a big part of the context and they lifted this one part out and they got like the wrong impression of the whole thing. So we've got this, these five verses and we're lifting them out to talk about prayer but it's in context of an entire sermon that Jesus preached. And it is the most famous sermon he ever preached. It's the most famous sermon in the history of the world. And it is a sermon that has single-handedly transformed the entire world. Does anyone have an idea which sermon this is? It's the Sermon on the Mount. And to understand this, i got to tell you what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount because it is, it's unbelievable. He opens up with these statements. He's on this mountain, crowds of people, and he opens up with these statements that would have just completely thrown them off. They're things that seem completely upside down. He says, blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are 
those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And this is like, whoa, what? And he starts moving towards the main idea of his sermon, and he says, I haven't come to change anything about the law, not one little piece of it. I'm here to fulfill it. What, what could that mean, Jesus? And then he starts to get, like, really controversial, and he says this, if you ever want to see heaven, your personal righteousness is going to have to exceed that of the Pharisees. You could probably hear a pin drop at that point. I mean, I wonder if there's Pharisees there, the religious leaders of the day. Like, you know, that, that must have been awkward. Your personal righteousness, if you ever want to see heaven, your personal righteousness will have to exceed that of the religious leaders of the day. And then he describes what he means. He says, you know, maybe you're here and you're saying, well, Jesus, I'm not a bad guy. I've never murdered anyone. And he says, let me explain to you what righteousness is. You understand this dynamic. This is God in the flesh. This is God who's come down to earth, put on flesh like a man, and he's teaching this is what holiness and righteousness actually looks like. This is an unbelievable moment. He says, okay, you might be sitting here saying, look, I've never murdered anyone. He says, okay, this is what righteousness looks like. He says, you ever had anger and bitterness in your heart? Has there ever been someone that you've been angry at and then something good happens to them and you're disappointed? And you're waiting for something bad to happen to them so they can get what's coming to them and they learn their lesson? He says, you know, wishing bad on something, something bad on someone, he says, that's having murder in your heart. That's how deep holiness runs. So I don't know about that, Jesus. He says, you know, there may be someone here who says, it's not like I've cheated on my spouse before. He says, well, have you ever had someone who's not your spouse walk by and you kind of gave them that second glance? Maybe your thoughts ran with it a little bit. You ever clicked on that website, read that explicit book, watched that movie that had inappropriate content? He said, because if you have lust in your heart, that's adultery in your heart. That's how deep holiness goes. So, well, man, Jesus, I'm like, a, I'm a good loving person. Isn't that enough? He says, okay, you say you're a loving person, but I'm just here to tell you what righteousness looks like. He says, you say you're a loving person, but you're saying that because you love the people who love you. Bad people do that. Everybody does that. He says, you want to know if you're loving? He says, do you love your enemies? That person who's torpedoing your career, do you love them? That other student that's gossiping behind your back, trying to wreck your reputation, do you love that person? Because that's what it looks like to love. You're like, wait a minute, no, Jesus, I'm a good, generous person. He says, some of you do good things, but you do it in front of people so that people are like, wow, look at your good things. That's not generosity, that's pride. Yeah, but God's a forgiving God. He'll forgive me. He says, okay, you think God's going to forgive you, but why do you demand and expect forgiveness from God when you're walking around forgiving to, refusing to forgive people who've done much lesser crimes against you? Do you think God's just going to be like, sure. And he gets to the crescendo of his sermon and he says, your, your, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. So I'm telling you, you better seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And then just in case there's no one left, I mean, before he starts to land the plane of his sermon, just in case there's anyone 
who's been thinking, man, I'm glad there's people here listening to this, Jesus. You let them have it. Because, you know, we, we've got this guy over here who's got a serious anger issue. And I know about that person's lust. And this person's not forgiving. And so just in case there's anyone who's been stiff-arming conviction, he gives one more example before he starts to close his sermon. He says, and let me warn you not to be judgmental. Because with the same standard you judge others, what if God used that against you? Because while you're trying to get that speck out of your brother's eye, you don't realize there's a plank in yours. And so now that he's got every single person in the hearing of his voice realizing that they don't measure up to the holiness and righteousness of God, he says, man, the, the gate to the kingdom of heaven is so narrow. Who could make it? And he ends with this illustration. He says, there's two men. One builds his house on the sand and one builds his house on the rock. And then a hurricane comes. And it blows down the house on the sand. What's your foundation look like? And everyone who's ever actually heard what Jesus is trying to say with this sermon who recognizes what he's talking about, that storm that's brewing and it's coming is that moment that every one of us will face where we stand before God and God says, okay, I'm going to judge you based on my standard. I said, be holy as I am holy, not holy as compared to your coworker. Holy as I am holy, so let's see how you measure up. That storm of judgment that's coming on every one of us, one day when we stand before God, he says, how does your foundation look? How is your righteousness? Is it on the sand or is it on the rock? And every person who's heard that sermon of Jesus has had to come to the conclusion, oh my goodness, I am standing on the sand. God, I need help. And that's why Jesus started his whole sermon with this first words. He said, blessed are those who realize they are spiritually bankrupt. That's a good start, Jesus says. Because the whole sermon is a setup to where we say, God, I need a savior. Someone's got to rescue me. I need a savior because I am on shaky foundation here. It's a setup for the fact that we need a Savior. It's not that Jesus is just a good teacher. He came to die. He came to die on a cross to pay for our sins. It's to remind us that we need what he is there to accomplish. And so he says, seek first, the crescendo of his sermon, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And just a few verses later, do you know what he says? Right after he says, seek his righteousness, here's what he says. I want to read you what he says a couple verses later. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And, the, the one, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Do you realize he's specifically saying something we should be hunting for? The righteousness of God. Ask for it, seek it, knock, knock, bang down the door for it. But wait a minute. 
Ask, seek, and knock, it's taking our brains into a direction of what type of thing we're hunting. We're hunting for a person. The righteousness of God is a person, Jesus Christ. That rock that you want to stand on, it's not clean up your life a little bit, Christian. It's too late for that. The rock on which you stand is Jesus. He says, ask for it and you'll receive it. Seek it and you'll find it. Knock and the door will be opened to it and you will find him, the righteousness of Christ. Do you realize how this works, Christian? When, you do, when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of your unrighteousness, your sin, all of those things like unforgiveness and lust and pride and judgmentalism, he took all of those things on himself, not just the stuff that was in your life at the moment of your conversion. I'm talking all of it, past, present, and future. His work on the cross radiates in both directions on the timeline. He says he takes all of your righteousness on himself. But do you know what happens next? I believe there's some of you that have been following Jesus and have never appreciated this concept. He doesn't just wipe the slate clean, Christian. He takes your unrighteousness and he gives you his righteousness. Do you realize what that means? You have his righteousness on you, Christian. A few years ago, Rebecca and I went and visited her cousin. And Rebecca's cousin and her have been close all their lives. They, they grew up uh, playing together and visiting each other. And her cousin is now a successful actress on Broadway. And we went up to, to visit her, and she's starring in a show. We were so excited to see her. And uh, we saw the show. It was incredible. And then afterwards, she's going to take us backstage which was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Okay, we go, and there's this door that says cast only. I'm feeling pretty important about myself. She's got to get through this door here, okay? And Rebecca and I are there with her cousin, and she gives us these credentials, okay? And at that moment, to walk through that door, it doesn't matter who I am. It matters that we're with her. The name that's on my credentials, it's not my name. That means nothing. It's her name. That's what gets me through the door. Christian, do you know the name has been put around your neck? It's the name of Jesus Christ. It's the name that is above every name. It's the name that when the world hears this name one day, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the name he's put around your neck. He's saying, here, it's not about your credentials. Let me put my name around your neck. You have the righteousness of Christ. That's your credentials before God. Does that just get anyone just feeling awestruck before God today? That's who you are. That's your identity. You carry the righteousness of Christ. So then we say, what do I do with a sermon like this as a Christian? I, I, I've got this identity. I've got the righteousness of Christ. I've been declared by God righteous. He handles me as if I've got the righteousness of Christ. And so we look at this sermon. The only person who faithfully lived this out was Jesus. And we say, 
I'm not going to listen to this sermon to try and earn my own righteousness. I, I could never do that. But in light of what my identity is, I'm going to strive to let my life reflect it. I've been declared righteous, and God is saying, and now I'm perfecting you, I'm glorifying you, I'm sanctifying you. Now walk in light of what your identity is. So when he says, ask, seek, and knock, he's saying, ask, seek, and knock for more Jesus. Ask, seek, and knock to let your life reflect Jesus. He says, I've got an agenda for what I'm trying to do in your life. I'm trying to work this out in your life. I, I want you to, to, to work out the righteousness that's been declared on you and let your life reflect on that. That's my agenda for you. So ask, seek, and knock for that. In other words, when you're praying and you're digging in in prayer and you're, it's like you're rowing, and you're saying, God, you know that I'm struggling with this right now. You're saying, God, I, you know I need this. I'm begging you for this, God. And then you remember prayers about surrender. And so you say, God, I just want what you want. Why would I want what I want? You're my father. You love me. You're all powerful. You understand the situation better than me, so I surrender. So then start rowing in the direction you know he wants to take you. So I know what's most important to you, God, is you want to build righteousness into me. You want me to reflect my Savior. You want, you want to see who you've already declared me to be, to be manifesting itself in, in my life. You want me to reflect that identity you've already given me, the way you already see me. You want me to live that out. So God, you know that I'm asking this from you because I've got pride and ambition. So God, I, I bring that pride and ambition. I confess that. Help me. Heal me from that. God, you, you know that I'm asking this out of greed. You know that I'm asking this out of vanity. Lord, you know that I'm asking this and I know you want to build that in me. And you start wrestling and here's what you're doing. You start rowing with the current. Because he's got a current he's trying to take you. It's to make you reflect the righteousness of who he's declared you to be. So start rowing, start praying with the current. God, make me that person. And you will find, you will get to that destination you want to get to so much faster. You say, wait a minute. I, it started out like I could ask whatever I want. Now it seems like it's more, it's not necessarily saying that. I mean, listen to how it's put in 1 John 5, 14 through 15. Can you hear this? And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his, what? Will he hears us? And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Pray and request with the current of where he's taken you. Here's the reality of your father. He's too good of a father to give you everything you ask for. He's too good of a father to do that. You say, but man, I, I'm asking for good things. I'm single and I'm asking for a spouse. I'm out of work and I'm asking for a job. I'm sick and I'm asking for healing. I mean, these are good things. Doesn't he want these things? For me, remember, he's your father and he's saying, I am doing a work in you that if you knew what I was doing, if you could conceive of it, you would say, you're right, I want that way more. He's saying it's things like this. 
The reason why you want him, you want the current of what he's doing is to build righteousness in you is because that is going to bring such unbelievable joy and peace in your life. He's saying, I know that I'm pushing you and stretching your endurance right now. You, you know that I'm stretching your endurance but I'm building this righteousness into you because there's 1,000 other circumstances over the rest of your life that if I can build this endurance in you now, you will have such joy and peace through 1,000 other circumstances. I'm building this in you and you want it. You're saying, God, I don't need another character lesson. I just need you to do this. And he says, no, you don't understand. I need to get that unforgiveness out of your heart because it's poisoning you. Let me do this. You want me to do this. You're like, God, I, I, don't, I don't want righteousness. I want this. He says, no, trust me. What you really want is for me to get this lust that's eroding your marriage or this self-righteous pride that's eroding your relationships or this lack of trust in my provision. You want me to get this out of you. That's how you're going to find true joy and peace. Do you know one of the Beatitudes, what Jesus said? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You want it. You want what he's doing. You want where the current is taking you. So, okay, if, if this is what he's saying, these are actually commands, church, saying ask, seek, and knock. How does this actually practically play out in our lives? I want to talk about all three of these things. First, ask. you got to carve out time this week. You realize the privilege you have of spending time wrestling and enjoying the almighty God who's your father? Carve out time not to do that along with something else. Remove the distractions. Carve out time and take advantage of that unbelievable gift. Ask and ask, pray with the current of where he's trying to take you. Wrestle with him. You can ask anything before him, but in the end, pray according to the current of where he wants to take you. Ask. Here's the second thing. Seek. Don't just ask. Go after it. Go after more of Jesus. Go ask of wanting more of your life reflecting Jesus. So go after it. We're in this new season of back to school. It's fall. It's new routines. Add, change up your routine where you're seeking even harder the righteousness of God, Jesus Christ. Seek him even harder, Christian. Let me give you some practical tools. Today at our resource center, um, we've got several books. It's in the front lobby there. You can get any of these resources online on Amazon or other places like that. But we have a couple physical copies available. You can go pick them up today. Um, let me just give you two. I, I wish that everyone who called West Pines their church home would read these short little books. They are profound, and they draw you closer to Jesus. The first one's called The Prodigal God. It's by an author named Tim Keller, a pastor and author. Phenomenal book in helping you understand your relationship with Jesus. You could read this a little bit every morning and, and get through this in a week. Pick up this book. It's a great place to start. Another book is called The Treasure Principle. It's a book by a pastor and author named Randy Alcorn. We also have copies of this profound book on how we orient ourselves to the blessings that God's given us in our lives. This will be a life changer for you. Two resources that are available for you. Here's another one. Maybe you say, look, I just want to dig into the Bible, but I get hung up on, on just parts I don't understand. Pick up this particular study Bible. We have them available. It's called the ESV Study Bible. And it's got notes at the bottom if you're reading and you're like, what does that mean? It's got notes at the bottom that explain what it's talking about. A profound resource. Pick this up. It will help you. I use this 
almost every day. This is a great resource for you. I, I wish every Christian had these in their library. Great resource. Pick that up. Seek. Go after him. Let me give you two apps that I want you to write down the name of these two apps. The first one is called NIV Live, as in New International Version Live. The other app is called The Breathe Bible. It's the New Living Translation. Write both of those down. And either one of those would be a, a profound impact on your life. Here's what they do. They take the Bible, and they've made it an audio Bible, but what they've done is both of these two uh, Bibles, they've hired professional actors who've dramatized the Bible. It's got like background sound effects and things. It's done really well, but they've not added anything to those translations. It's just a reading of those translations in a way that's very, very engaging. So let me just plant a thought in your brain. Those of you who drive your kids to school, let's say you got the Breathe Bible, and let's say on your way into school every morning just for seven minutes, you just listen to seven minutes worth of that audio. I turned it on, and my three-year-old son today, just, or earlier this week to listen to it, my three-year-old was playing with cars on the ottoman, and um, I turned it on, and he heard it, and he heard the, the music, and he heard the thing, and he came over like to see what was going on. Imagine you play just seven minutes in the car on your way to school. By the end of the school year, you and your children will have heard the entire New Testament. Let's say, hypothetically, you commute to work, and because you're a South Florida commuter, you drive more than 20 minutes each way. Let's say you just said, just 20 minutes of my commute. I'm going to listen to, let's say, the NIV Live. 20 minutes in the morning for the entire a working year, five days a week. I'll even just, we'll do 50 weeks. You get two weeks of vacation in there, okay? Five days a week, one work year, you'll have listened to the entire Bible read to you. Just 20 minutes in the morning. Seek. You live in an unprecedented age of access to more Jesus. Seek. Let's seek together, church. Ask, seek, knock. These next couple weeks, you're going to be getting more and more information on how to take another step forward in the involvement here in your church. For some of you, you're coming into the fall and you're saying, okay, you know, we come to church every now and then, but your step is, you know what? No, this fall, it's a priority. I want to be here with my family every weekend because I want my family to learn more about Jesus and be with people as we're learning more about Jesus. Take another step. In the next couple weeks, you're going to be hearing tons of information about groups. If you're not in a group, you need to be with people who, who's studying and learning more about Jesus, and you need to do that together. This is the fall. In the next few weeks, you're going to hear about that. Take that step. Ask, seek, beat down the door, find more of Jesus. Because here's what Jesus said. When he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, there was a promise attached to that. He said, they will be satisfied. He said, I could give you what you're asking for, but I know it's not going to satisfy you. Pray with the current. Ask. Seek. Knock for more of Jesus that he might make your life reflect Jesus more. You might be here, and here's the step you need to take today. You say, I, I realize that if I was to stand before Jesus today, and he was to say, why should I let you into heaven? 
Maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're watching online, and what you'd say is, I honestly don't know how, how to answer that because I've tried to be good, but when I look at how Jesus says what it looks like to be holy before God, I'm on a shaky foundation. The only answer to that question is to say it's not by what I'm doing and what I've done. It's what Jesus did for me. He's the rock on which I stand. You say, I've been seeking after Jesus and I need to find him. I want to find him today. You know what Jesus' own words he said at the end of the New Testament, the end of the Bible? He actually said, you think you've been seeking and knocking, but I'm the one who's been knocking on the door of your heart. And he's saying to you today, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I'll come in. Some of you need to open the door and just say, Jesus, I accept what you did for me on the cross. And I want to follow after you. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. Would everyone just take a second and just bow their heads and close their eyes? Wherever you're at today, you might be here, you might be watching somewhere, wherever you're at, wherever you're at in your journey, today is the day you can find Jesus. And if you're ready to take that step, I just want to lead you in this prayer. So right there, wherever you're at, just bow your head and, and just in this moment, say these words to God. Just in your heart, he hears you. Say, Jesus, thank you for coming to rescue me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for taking all my unrighteousness and paying for it on the cross. And thank you for placing your perfect righteousness on me. I want to follow after you today and forever. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.